Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. If it goes with a, that, then like, wouldn't just Aguirre be the next, the runner-up? I'd really like that two episodes in a row we'll have a cold open being us discussing how to pronounce names. We're not- that oh us Jesus! I'm going. To, I'm going to. I'm I don't gonna, even know if my gonna, sound okay here. I'm gonna. Yes, it's fine. Okay. Uh, thank you. Does everybody feel good about their audio? Everybody set up. I don't feel <laughs> good. If that's what you're asking, <laughs> I don't feel good about anything. Much less you know, my audio. I, I didn't ask. Do you feel good, Harry? <laughs> I yeah, know better than to ask. Better. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we know what the answer will be for all of us. Okay, I'm done readjusting my mic stand over and over. although I'll keep tinkering with it. You know. I appreciate that. Just, just make sure the, the mic is on while you're doing that, so that you can yeah, get as much as much of this as possible. Give give Jason a lot to that. fix and post. You know, can you hear yeah. me okay, Jason? Actually, yeah, you can. I can hear you okay, just fine. Great, great. Drink water on microphone. I think I feel like part <clears throat> of my deep sick voice has gone away, so I won't quite be like Matt Berninger. Uh, you still sound sexy. I was going to say you're at about twenty five percent more Berninger than you usually are. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take the compliment. <laughs> what, Is that a what? national song I'm not familiar with? <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe we I just wrote one. You were trying to off ramp that joke right, like at like thirty percent through it, huh? Uh, listen, seventy percent. It's not all that much once you start a joke. You can you can usually uh, bumble your way through the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought I thought you pulled it off. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, that's how I always love to start episodes of Try Love, the literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org where you can get tickets to movies like the one we're about to talk about today. My name is Jason Daphnis. I declare all this in the form of a document to be submitted for approval to the Council of the Indies. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm El Doradoti Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at El Doradoti underscore BH. Uh, I wanted to do the the earthquake one, but I couldn't remember it. So I'll just say I'm the wrath of God. I'm Harry. You can find me on Twitter at Shitaki Harry. And I'm Aaron, and I've not seen any solid ground that would support my weight. And you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at RB Please. Oh, now. Well, uh, you got to pick up your weight of, uh, sorry, your, 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 I don't know. Carry your weight from this uh, for this episode and tell us what this movie is actually about. What, what, what are we going to be discussing today? Yes, we are speaking, talking, discussing uh, the film Aguirre, The Wrath of God, 1972 film. Uh, it is directed by uh, author, director, documentarian, uh, internet meme, uh, Werner Herzog. Uh, it is Herzog's third feature film. Uh, 
Uh, Aguirre follows a group of Spanish conquistadors in the year 1560 as they travel east from the Andes Mountains in South America uh, into the jungle, where they hope to find the fabled, uh, yet uh, unfortunately non-existent country of El Dorado. Uh, they've also enslaved about 100 indigenous people who they, they travel with and who they kind of make do all the work. They make them carry most of their goods and whatnot. Uh, they make them kind of steer the rafts, uh, things like that. Uh, a, sc- a small scouting party is sent east uh, on a river for one week in order to find and return with news of the location of El Dorado, as well as any information about uh, kind of the location and presence of any indigenous tribes in the area. And uh, Pedro de Ursua, uh, who is played here by Roy Guerrera, uh, is chosen as the leader of the expedition. He is accompanied by his mistress, Dona Inez, who is played by Helena Rojo. Uh, second in command is the treacherous and plotting Lope de Aguirre, uh, played here by uh, psychotic madman Klaus Kinski, who quickly takes command of the doomed expedition, uh, as more and more men die and conditions grow uh, ever harsher as they travel down the river in search of riches that don't actually exist. Uh, The film was critically acclaimed on release, and over the years, its reputation has uh, kind of only grown, I think. Uh, It is now generally considered not just uh, one of Herzog's best films, but uh, one of the best films ever made. Uh, That's what I got. Jason, what do you think? What did I think? I think uh, I really quite enjoyed this movie. I realized maybe three quarters of the way through that I have no metric of what uh, Werner Herzog's films are like. I had sort of assumed that he had this, I don't know, Tarkovsky-like, very slow, very intentional, very methodical, very plotting style that, you know, while not the most exciting or, uh, you know, visually entertaining, it was still, you know, quality filmmaking, et cetera, et cetera. But this really threw my expectations for a loop, having only ever seen uh, Nosferatu before this, which we also discussed on this podcast. Go back and listen to episode 143 for that. Um, I There were a few things that I specifically liked about this movie, though. I, I like how um, it doesn't really touch, uh, you know, character setup or motivation or you know, like individuals like importance to the plot. Um, there was a point again, like most of the way through the movie where I leaned over to Seth while watching and said, like, do, are you having trouble also keeping track of like who the importance of different characters to the plot and why they're where they are and, you know, what sort of motivations they have. And I came to just accept that that wasn't really the point. The point was more like minimalist uh, storytelling that, you know, is intentionally a little bit confusing in its structure because it's wanting you to focus instead on, um, you know, all you really need to know about these characters and about the world that they're in is that like, it's, it's the folly of man versus the unyielding like world of nature around them. And, uh, and you know, a world that they think that they can conquer, but of course they can't um, hubris and, you know, imperial, uh, <coughs> excuse me, imperialism. Um, and, you know, the desire for control versus the vast uncharted wilds of South America. Um, I think that uh, while, while the character of Aguirre himself, uh, you have, beaten me into submission i will pronounce it with three syllables um while the character of aguirre himself has like he's a power grubbing like imperialist uh kind of an empire unto himself kind of guy as harry uh, hinted at at the beginning he calls himself the wrath of god bringing it upon people of uh you know all different lands to subjugate the world according to his order in the footsteps of hernan cortez um he like I think the, the there was an interesting aspect of this movie around the time of like 
where the first act starts to turn into the second where um like he, he realizes uh that he needs structure that like his sort of evil influence still needs structure in order to affect change and to like uh el- leverage control over the group of people and over the you know the party uh, as it's as it's heading out so he um subjugates or sorry he props up uh what is it don de guzman i think it was he's like the schlubbiest guy he can find in the entire party uh and sort of props him up as um the leader of the group as like the the elected king but still he's playing aguirre is playing from the shadows and he's moving uh you know things according to his will um he knows that this man is like a figurehead uh because he's put him up as such um I just like that idea of that evil, like it's a very cynical idea that evil uh, itself can, you know, survive without, um, you know, figureheads and without uh, specific channels, I guess, to disperse it. But it thrives with structure like it. The only way that Aguirre is able to affect any any change and like really exert control over the group is through, uh, you know, a, a sort of a, a, noth- a, a king of nothing type character. Uh, and that's where Don de Guzman came in for me, um, you know, like it thrives when it's given power and influence. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I'll, I'll start wrapping up. There was a much bigger idea about um, that. I, I talked about it in my, in our Nosferatu episode about like the sort of thematic and visual uh, contrast of freedom to captivity in uh, Nosferatu. And I think that returns in this movie just in a new, interesting way. I might bring that up later, but it's a bigger point. So I don't want to waste time here doing it. Um, probably the biggest surprise for this movie. And I'm, I know we'll all talk about it is just how fucking funny it can be sometimes. Um, again, having only seen two Herzog films, including this, uh, I had this vision of him as, you know, that he was going to be way more serious, way more like up his own ass. You can say that Herzog is up his own ass as a filmmaker, but like in terms of storytelling, that it wouldn't be as like raw, entertaining and goofy as it is at, at times. Um, but there's a clear point in this movie at which like you're only meant to laugh at these people because you've at, at the demise of these people because you've sort of been built to hate them for the, you know, proceeding, depending on when you consider that point, uh, proceeding like, uh, 60 or 70 or 80 minutes of the movie. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. I had no metric by which to measure how I was going, how much I was going to enjoy the, this movie by the end of it. It does not sound like the most entertaining, fun, uh, plot summary, but it is very, very fun, uh, to actually watch. And I, I read Aaron's review on Letterboxd and I think he's going to have a lot to, a lot of good points about that as well. Uh, for me, I have prattled on just about long enough. Um, you could, you might say that, you know, I can write no more, so to speak. Uh, but, uh, Hey, Hey Cody, is that Canon looking a little rusty to you? Uh, sly wink. And this is me walking over to that Canon to, to get into some, some mischief and rustle some jimmies, uh, in our camp here. But um, yeah, thank you for that cue, Jason. This was uh, uh, my first time seeing this movie. I think it's a pretty fascinating data point in my, and I guess our sort of collective journey in better understanding Herzog and, and his filmography. At, at risk of sounding like a guy whose only other Herzog film he's seen is Fitzcarraldo, uh, who's getting big uh, Fitzcarraldo vibes from this, uh, specifically like uh, what I mean by that is like, especially in the opening uh, act and the, uh, actually the first kind of few sequences right away seeing this movie um and we're looking at uh these these actors uh you know carrying shit through these unstable jungle uh paths um just uh, like it can't can't but feel like we're meant to like we're meant to appreciate it as like a visual sort of work of labor i guess is what i'm trying to say and i'm historically 
less inclined to give those movies points if I don't also appreciate what the movie is doing. Uh, and I'm happy to say that, um, like that wasn't the case here. Uh, I, I feel like the, the sort of pointed sequences of, you know, again, watching these people struggle along through these wooded areas, um, physically and like really feeling the texture of this area and of, you know, these perspiring sweaty dudes, um, uh, like juxtaposing that with, um, just like this as a, a narrative work. Like I think those two feed off each other, um, really well and better and better as the film goes. Uh, so that's awesome. Uh, and it was refreshing, refreshing coming into this, not really knowing what the film has to say about these conquistadors or, or how it quote unquote, uh, feels about them. And as a, a new beat or a tonal sort of micro pivot occurs, uh, to then sort of think to myself, I don't know how this movie will feel about them 60 seconds from now or five minutes from now. Um, that was very kind of uh, thrilling in its own way. Uh, Herzog's not exactly telegraphing those tonal changes. He's not adding guardrails to the experience. Um, you know how you should feel about uh, Don Lope. Uh, I think, you know, Aguirre. Um, I'll just call him Aguirre. Uh, you know how you should feel about enslaved indigenous people, and you know how you should feel when colonizers get their comeuppance. Um, so, like, it, it makes for, like, maybe a drier viewing experience, but um, not necessarily a lesser one. Um, maybe just, like, like, a slightly flatter one, if that makes any sense. Um, adjectives are hard. Uh, Kinski, uh, the motherfucker, has, a, a physic- has the physicality of a, a cretin, and that pays off here um, often. Um that wild psychopath he's an unhinged 85 pound person walking with swagger that doesn't feel altogether earned you know it, it's like like specific batman villain energy or just like grima warm tongue um was the the name i settled on um that wild jackass uh yeah i liked watching this at the trial end and i like i i've come to like it you know the last couple of days just the even more the more i think about it uh it's a version of the classic sort of where our own worst enemy sort of story it was very fun watching aguirre and friends um spiral rapidly out of control um and i like that kind of like with uh nosferatu um th- this movie has some incredible generic music uh, permeating uh, a lot of the runtime that sort of light choral like it, it honestly feels just like a few stanzas that are sort of run on a loop and how I, I like how that cue eventually comes to point to the, the the sort of perverted false bravado that is at the heart of all this you know in in the hearts of man rather so i don't know it's it's good weird fun and it was great seeing it uh with a group at the trial on cinema and i'm gonna have to pause here and redirect our focus just a little bit in order to save ourselves um because we need saving um, we need our bravest, finest warrior to um, to, to run a, a special errand, uh, to make a donut run, I, I would suggest, and I nominate Harry for that task. So I will concede the floor to him uh, so that we can bask in his wisdom. Uh, Harry? Wow, thanks, Cody. Just imagine as I'm doing this donut run, I'm wordlessly singing the word la over or uh, tonelessly singing the word la over and over again. And that's how you know I'm about to do some real depraved shit, much like um, the main henchman in this movie. Uh, I like this movie a lot. I'm more familiar with Herzog than uh, Jason or Cody, I guess. So I was more primed for it. I was more familiar with Herzog's general outlook in politics. So I sort of had an understanding of, of how he was going to feel about these characters. And uh, as I was thinking about this, I tried to think of the, the way that I could agree with Aaron the most while pissing him off the most. And I think I found it, which is that I think what this movie does is what I wish Tarantino movies did or what Tarantino maybe thinks he's doing with movies, which is that it really leverages this anti-liberal 
spite and hatred for its subject matter that is extremely cathartic and extremely righteous. And it makes no bones about the fact that it thinks that that uh, engendering that feeling in you uh, as the audience looking at these depraved, terrible individuals is correct morally and sound morally right i think that there's this there's this um urge particularly in sort of like moralism and and neoliberalism right uh, or just liberalism broadly construed to sort of like humanize everything and there's this idea that like well if we become hateful we become the same as as the our oppressors and this movie like delights in subverting that right it delights in you saying like listen like these conquistadors were uh incestuous rapist murderers and the only tragedy of what happened to them was that it happened it didn't happen sooner and so that they killed more people than they should have been able to right it's like this movie makes no bones about the fact that um all of these people got exactly what was coming to them it delights in punishing them and i think that it has the strength of its convictions kind of in ways that tarantino movies often don't um I also wanted to to look at there's there's a lot of richness I think to this text despite its the um directness of its commentary um particularly Kinski's performance is really fascinating um I read that he and Herzog uh were at loggerheads about how to per- uh, portray this character and Kinski wanted to be more openly psychopathic I think that it's a really great point that Herzog restrained him a little bit because I think that this movie does a really great job of unpacking uh the interiority of the character and i think that that's actually a really important part of this movie because i think it's really important that we can sympathize and even to an extent empathize with our anti-hero main character and only to see the the extreme depths of his depravity right and we're supposed to see like it's it's sort of like anti-hero taken to its logical conclusion that like we understand this person and can empathize with him in the sense that we can understand how he arrived here. It's just that he's, he is, he is absolutely evil to his core, right? It's like, there is nothing redemptive inside of this person. He is a person who is absolutely a solipsist, absolutely a narcissist, and absolutely would kill everything and everyone in the world for his own ego, right? I think it's super important that the movie arrives there. And I think it's super important that he becomes symbolic of all of empire and all of the the project of imperialism in general, right? Um, I, I think that that the the humor of this movie is really, really on point. It's a hilarious movie. Um, I was laughing out loud many times in the, in the theater. And, um, I think that, that even in the beginning, it does a really good job of almost like, uh, to, to one of Cody's points, catching you off balance with just how funny it's always going to be. I mean, this is a movie where like one of the very first scenes is that these, these people have to make rafts and one of, one of the rafts just gets stuck. And all of those people are just like, helplessly trying to get off of the um the rocks that they're stuck on until they're all killed right and it's like it's absurdly funny and you don't even know if you're supposed to be laughing at that point and it only gets darker and funnier from there and so like i think that that the way that it shows the conquistadors is like comically out of place in this jungle they have all of this armor that they're clanking around in kinski does this like igor walk the whole movie, which is so funny, he's such a gremlin in this movie. Like he's just this disgusting, like Quasimodo freak, right? And but instead of being sympathetic to Quasimodo because of his kindness, we're meant to sort of like take that deformity as a sign of his inner depravity, which is maybe problematic, but it works really well here, I think. So um, ultimately, yeah, I think that this is just a movie of like tremendous confidence. I think that. 
Um, it's a movie of tremendous richness, textual and formal richness. Um, I think that that everything that it does, Herzog like had a very clear vision and was just sort of so inspired by this this seething, searing clarity of hatred <laughs> that is kind of Herzog's um, like signature. But it works really well here, and I think that it it like is exactly what this movie needs is just to be this sort of like. It's it's like almost mirthful in how savagely it hates its subject matter, right? It's it's like and that's exactly what these people deserve because it's exactly what the history of empire deserves, right? So it's it's kind of the best way to make a movie, or at least I would say the the most morally and um, sort of in- intellectually righteous uh, way to make a movie about the history of empire and conquistadors, right. Is just to portray it exactly this way as like the, they are, were disgusting and they deserved only the worst of what they got. Um, but I would very much like to hear Aaron who as has been noted, um, wrote a very good letterbox review about this movie. Aaron, what did you think? And are you pissed off about my Tarantino? I feel, uh, comparison? I feel like there's a lot of, uh, you set up a lot of, uh, I don't know. I get, there's a lot of weight behind this now. You know, there's a lot of pressure. I'm a, I'm a quarterback. There's there's 10 seconds left on the clock. You know, See, this I got is, one this shot. This is why here. we don't write letterbox reviews before we record because then it. Well, I, you know, no, I do write letter. We all write letterbox reviews except not, for not I'm just record, not supposed not to rate it. No, no, no. It's it's a liability, uh, man. It's, it's how are it's you not this? That. How are you this I, unobservant? Look, I I'm I do not care is the thing. Uh, but uh, uh, regardless, oh my god, he admit it. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, uh, I, I write, uh, my letterbox reviews for myself. They're for me. You know, it's a personal thing. Uh, but, uh, it is, uh, but, uh, not the, the Tarantino take doesn't upset me. Uh, I Damn think it. I disagree with it, but no, I think the, I was, I was, every once in a while when I'm watching a movie, I do kind of think of like, what is the worst take to have about this movie? And I think I've settled on the, the worst take to have about this film is that it uh, absolves the Spanish conquistadors because Klaus Kinski is such an evil figure that all the attention is drawn to Klaus and he is a he is a kind of an, an ubermensch in a certain manner that you can pin all of your hatred <laughs> I'm, onto. I'm that would sorry? be the funniest take. That would be the funniest take about this movie is that you could have. Is the other conquistadors come out looking pretty good in comparison uh, <laughs> to to Klaus. In this I mean, film. the one guy with the really like really long flowing hair is super hot. He comes out looking pretty good. You mean like the Adam Driver looking guy? Yeah. 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 Roy, Roy Guerrero. Um, no, I, uh, yes, I really liked this film. Uh, big bummer. I was not able to see this one in the theater. I feel like this, this feels like a pretty solid, uh, theater experience. Uh, those of you that saw the trial on, was it on film or was it a digital, uh, projection? It was, DCP. Do you know? it was a, a uh, new restoration. I believe. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. A new restoration might not be bad there. Yeah. There's, uh, uh, some, you know, some kind of, small quality issues with, you know, just whatever version is available uh, to rent on the internet. Uh, but I don't think it got in the way of the experience too much. I think this is, is, is probably a good theater experience, but this is also a nice late night kind of sitting on the couch experience. Um, it's a very slow film, uh, uh, though it is only about 90 minutes long, but I, I, as kind of mentioned before, find myself kind of giving just a, just a whole bunch of, of belly laughs, uh, over the duration uh, of this movie. Um, it is, it is very, very funny. I don't think, Obviously so. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to avoid being some sort of like, uh, you know, I laugh at horror movies kind of loser. Uh, but I think there's like so much subtle slapstick humor that I think I, I kind of 
latched onto very early on in the film. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch of just shots of like Spanish colonizers just like slipping in the mud, uh, getting whacked by tree branches, uh, getting shot with arrows in kind of the, the funniest fashion. Um, I think specifically the tree branches, like a minute into the film, not a minute, maybe like five minutes into the film is when I first started to realize like, oh, this is actually pretty funny. It's just a shot of, of a guy and just kind of this this comically unfit armor, just like walking and just, just getting whacked like six or seven times by the same branch. Branch. The um, armor very, is very consistently good. hilarious. Yeah, yes, like, it's just completely unprepared. Uh, the the shot of them like just trying to to like struggling to get a single cannon out of the mud and then like shooting the cannon at nobody. You know, um, the the scenes of uh, uh, you know an indigenous tribe like shooting like one guy with an arrow and then in order to retaliate they just start shooting in random directions because they don't know where they came from. Uh, very good. Uh, very, very good. Um, but th- th- there's a lot of dark stuff here too, right? I mean, especially the, the, you know, the, the scenes, the depictment of the, the treatment of the indigenous people at the hands of these conquistadors. Um, I think there is some very, very dark humor in that as well. But uh, I think that this is a, a film that kind of treats, um, treats the indigenous people with a kind of a, a good degree of, of empathy. I think that's a, a hard line to walk for a film that, that's mainly concerned uh, with a bunch of evil shit that imperialists are doing. I think that's that's one kind of criticism that gets uh, uh, kind of often levied, I think, fairly at kind of um, kind of, you know, post-colonial or anti-colonial works. Uh, I think Heart of Darkness is probably the, the great example of a work that is critical of uh colonialism uh but it does so in a very uh itself kind of racist and, and kind of fumbled manner um maybe there's something to get into that later uh but I, I think this film kind of sidesteps that in a in a way that i find quite uh admirable um so yeah i i really had a uh a good time uh with this film i think it is a very interesting film we'll kind of see where it it shakes up end of the year for me uh, on my favorites list if it gets on there. But uh, I'm, I'm still kind of thinking it and kind of pondering over sections of it. So, Okay, something you said at the very end, Aaron, uh, was really good. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I think that one of the big things that allows this movie to sidestep it is that it never portrays the nature of the evil that all of these characters perpetrate as like – deeply sort of sinister or megalomaniacal so much as it is deeply pathetic and pitiful, right? Like I think that one of the big pivotal scenes, which is also one of the darkest, most humorous, but, but sad moments where they meet that native and they're trying to explain to him what the Bible is. And he holds the Bible up to his um, ear and says, it's not talking because they told him it's the word of God. And then they're like, kill him for his blasphemy. And they kill him in like three seconds and he just drops dead. And then um, we cut to the uh, the narrator and he says, alas, it's difficult to uh, anglicize these natives, right? Or it's difficult to save them. And it is, it is funny, but like, I think the the difference is that in Heart of Darkness, like there is something sort of like, there's a mystique to Kurtz, right? Like even though Apocalypse now sort of tries to subvert that by making him this pustulant sort of like gross person, like at, at the end of that book, Kurtz is sort of like this, he's this mysterious, like, like brutal and um, terrifying individual that, that has all of this mythology built up behind him. And the book is trying to subvert that, but like it doesn't do it because it, here, Uh, these characters are fucking pathetic, right? They're morons. They're like drooling idiots who don't know what they're doing, right? Like, or they, they're, 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 
uh, cruelty is only matched by their stupidity. And I think that there's something really interestingly crucial about that, right? About how, because there's some sense in which like, um, and, and this is a really like scary and sad thing to admit, but like, there's something about cruelty that is, that is impressive if it is backed by sort of intelligence or like you can portray cruelty as sort of like, um, as, as like megalomaniacal or sort of domineering and sort of scary, right? Like you could easily have made this movie about like Cortez, right? Which I think that, that the pointed comparison that, um, that we're constantly seeing made to Cortez by everyone saying like, well, Cortez conquered Mexico and Cortez did this and that because he was, he had the strength of his will and his conviction. They clearly want to be Cortez because they have this idea of, in this mythology about how Cortez was and what that means about who they are, but they're not right. And probably Cortez wasn't as this movie is pointing out, but like they are morons like full stop. Right. And like part of their cruelty is their deep unabiding stupidity. And I think that there's something really important to that because it makes it like deprives the mystique of uh cruelty or like it deprives cruelty of the mystique that it is difficult otherwise to completely sidestep i think yeah i i to to go back a little bit and then to maybe build up to kind of the point you're making here uh specifically with regard to to heart of darkness i mean uh, there's like a million things you can go read about this but uh i you know that that was a uh, novella that was very much steeped in uh, you know, despite arguably being kind of anti-colonialist, was was very much steeped in the language of colonialism and was attempting to kind of use that to make a point. And I think the point that was being made is that you know actually these these colonizers are are just as is kind of dark as the people they're colonizing, right? Which is obviously a pretty problematic uh, kind right. of take to have, right? Uh, yeah, just the, the the image of of darkness, specifically dark-skinned people. Uh, yeah. in Africa and Africa as a, a dark continent or a, a continent with kind of a dark heart to it that gets darker mm-hmm. as you kind of approach it. That is obviously problematic aspects of that language. Along um, with the word savage, right? I mean, it's sort of the, yes. er, who is the true savage? And it's getting like, well, back to savagery. Yes and, yes. and it's like, but, but the word savage itself has this very like loaded history that yes. Yes. And I, I think one of the ways that this film gets around that, and this is not a, uh, there's a lot to be read about, this as well, specifically in regard to Aguirre, uh, is that this, this film, I think, really is kind of steeped in um, uh, uh, Herz- Herzog uses a lot of, of kind of imagery and, and symbols from kind of the, the history specifically of like Germany and German nationalism uh, to kind of uh, make a lot of these points, which is why I think it works. Right. Klaus, Klins- Klaus Kinski is a, a, you know, kind of blonde, long haired uh, person who, who didn't at all look like any of the people that he was kind of representing, right? Um, he a lot of his language is, is straight up fascistic. Um, I, I think we are kind of supposed to see him uh, as kind of a stand-in for you know not just kind of the the, the Spanish conquistadors, but really um, kind of any civilization uh, uh, that was engaging kind of similar practices. I think that um, kind of the German, uh, you know, kind of the German Nazis and whatnot. Uh, yeah, I mean, similar. they straight up refer to the emperor. Yes. as the Fuhrer and the um, Kaiser at multiple I mean, the, Yeah, the, the, the speech at the end of the film about, you know, wanting to kind of uh, marry marry his daughter and then kind of breed the most pure race, right, uh, and kind of rule over his domain in that manner. I think that, that that's all pretty obviously kind of throwing back to to Nazism. Um, and I, I think that uh, it, it it's quite damning, right, um, 
you know, this, this is not a film that is equating its subjects with the indigenous people. Uh, this is a film that is, is, is kind of just, uh, uh, kind of damning those subjects in particular. And I think that's why it, I think maybe steps around a lot of the, the issues that, that other works kind of fall into. Yeah. I see the, the, the dichotomy I'm, I'm pulling up here is like between you and Harry, at least you and Harry, uh, you both had like a pretty good bead early on, on the tone of this movie, what it was trying to do and say, I think just because I went in with knowing nothing like the frankness of that depiction of these characters, as, as, uh, Harry said, you know, deeply stupid, deeply cruel, uh, characters and, and just people, um, it was just disarming because like I expected a little bit more conflict in its depiction of the conquistadors as like, you know, people and as factions and as people who have different viewpoints on what they should be doing and how they should get out of the jungle, et cetera. Um, kind of like Cody was saying, uh, it's like a little bit more what you didn't know about these, about these guys, about, you know, conquistadors and about, uh, European imperialism. Um, but actually it's wearing all of that on its face, as Aaron was saying, from like the first five minutes, you're, you're seeing them stumble through the desert, through the jungle. And you're a man. I mean, I was just imagining, oh, this is looks like this looks terrible. This looks like, um, you know, war in the trenches type stuff. And it's, you know, somewhat sympathetic and it's somewhat X, Y, Z. It's not. It's all like, look at these dipshits marching around in rusted armor, uh, just getting their asses handed to them by the natural terrain. I guess I didn't expect that straightforward or flat uh, depiction um, of I guess of how the story moves uh, or of, or of the characters that move it forward is, is that like, I guess I, I want to make sure actually that that runs by how Cody was feeling about it too, because he like, I'm opting a lot of his language. Did that make sense? Is that kind of the lens through which you were seeing it too, Cody? Yeah, I no, I think you characterize that really well. And hearing um, the rest of you talk, I guess one thing I'll, I'll bring into it and I'm kind of circling back, you know, we're talking about like the ways in which this, subverts expectations. And actually one thing you were talking about, uh, I think in your lead up uh, or your kind of top level thoughts, Jason, the sort of playing from the shadows uh, element that, that this movie has, it's, I remember my, so like me and I, I guess I'm in the camp of like, uh, as it's been said, I didn't really know what to expect. I don't know Herzog uh, and his film super well. And I kind of intentionally went into this, not really uh, looking up anything, not doing any research just to, to kind of go in blindly as much as possible. And it's, as we've said, and as I've said, this this movie kind of goes through different, um, a few different waves, a few different transformations, where it's um, at least it appears to be a few different things. And you know, the the opening sort of not the opening monologue, but Pissarro lays out in a sort of wordy. Um, I can't remember if he, I, he might be reading right from a document. I can't really remember, but he basically lays out like it, that. That can be called like the inciting incident of the movie, basically. But he just says, "Hey, hey we're." we're in uh, some really rough shape right now. We need 40, uh, 40 of our best to go and like, you know, figure this shit out. And like, it's this lot, like nobody else is saying anything. It's very explicit. It's very like, this is what the movie is going to be. And then like none of the, or at least I, I don't know, in retrospect anyway, um, like me thinking back to this movie, like the, the moments that shown through were not like any of the big sort of um, speeches that like, for example, Aguirre made because he didn't like he wasn't that type of person. He was very like you said about Kinski's performance. It's very physical. It's very like there are a lot of um, like mutters from hers or, or, or from his uh, mouth and from the mouths of, of others. Um, there's a lot of like nonverbal communication. Um, and, and so uh, I, I guess kind of re- uh, closing the circle, but not really, but just, so that when something does happen that like puts me, puts the audience, um, off guard or, or 
makes us feel a little off kilter. It's something uh, unexpected. When something does happen, you know, somebody gets stabbed, somebody gets, uh, you know, somebody is a head shorter than they once were, um, or somebody has like a quip that like, it, it doesn't necessarily align with the mood because at that moment, like, I don't really know what the mood is. Cause like very few people are like, uh, are, are talking, you know, like there's nothing really to base this off of. So it, it, it was almost like, I don't know, the, the lack of, um, certain, I don't know, the lack of that explicit communication, the lack of, I don't know, things that we might expect from, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, a, a narrative film, just like that blank canvas makes anything that does crop up, um, a little more surprising in a good way. Like, I, I mean, like we've been yeah. saying the, this movie rules and, and that like feeling that, that, uh, uneasiness is something that I really, really like. And I'm very thankful that, um, that, uh, Aguirre kind of put that forth, but I don't know. That's, that's my attempt at, 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 I don't know, kind of reconciling that. Yeah, I think that I don't think that this is an alternate take, but uh, both you and Jason have been sort of talking about the the heart of darkness of why I think this movie works as well as it does. And it's it's almost subversion by way of lack of subversion, right? Like, I think that we go into this movie thinking that it's going to adhere to a more traditional plot heroic structure than it does. Like we think, well, we're following these people. They must be our antiheroes or they must be what the Mm -hmm, story's mm -hmm. about. Right. Like even you guys are saying like, well, this is about conquistadors, but this is about, this is about men of God. And like, Obviously, we bring our 2021 uh, thoughts like we know what the conquistadors were. We know what colonists are. We know what imperialism is. But we come in sort of expecting the movie to have a different sort of sociopolitical opinion about those things than we do. Right. And like it's it's one of those rare movies that almost works better in 2021 than it must have worked in uh, 1972, though it must have been just as radical or if not more so in 1972, because it doesn't do that. Right. Like I would argue that this movie is utterly complete in its statement from minute one and that it actually knows exactly what it is and does not, it's just, it doesn't care if you know, know what it is. In fact, it kind of wants you to not be able to figure out what it is and to come in with those alternative expectations so that this can be like taking medicine, right? Like I didn't realize that I expected movies about Christians in a, uh, colonizing um, a, a foreign country to sort of adhere to this traditional heroic structure. And so it was like taking medicine for me to realize that actually this movie is a realistic depiction of what that was, right? Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is sort of the nature of the subversion that's happening here is not so much like the movie is changing so much as it is that the fact that the movie doesn't change at all is surprising to us because we think, wait a minute, can they do that? Right. Like this isn't right. It, it right. barely feels like a movie. Right. It, it Because it's not there's not a heroic character here. There's not a plot. There's not a character arc there. Yeah. It's just a monster that continues to be a monster. We eventually get to see the true depths of his monstrosity and then he dies. Yeah, or, I don't doesn't die. But, you know, yeah, I don't want to derail. But just to put a fine point on that, we brought up the point before about the um, the priest who like orders the death of two natives because they don't understand what the Bible is or their concept of God, et cetera. Um, up to that point, the uh, priest is in fact our narrator. He's the voice of the movie for most of the movie's events. And yes. up, up until that moment, it's like almost 
and not intentionally, I guess, but almost positioning him as like the, as a, a sympathetic, empathetic character. He's, right. right. He is there to spread, you know, the word of God and, and peace, et cetera, et cetera. And in reality, like, like you say, you know, going in, this was not a message of peace. This was not an, like a, uh, an olive branch type scenario. This was like explicit imperialism, um, even on the part of, you know, especially on the part of, um, you know, the religious, uh, uh, movements that, that, you know, accompanied the, the military. But, um, like the fact that it does not, the fact that that happened so quickly and so almost guttingly, like it, it, like you said, it was like taking medicine. It was like, I have to get this understanding of, you know, uh, of, of men of the cloth as like, uh, as what am I trying to say? Um, you know, good people, I guess, as like altruistic beings out of my mind, because they are, you know, what are they doing there? If not, uh, you know, raping, pillaging, killing, and, you know, uh, subverting local culture. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of, yeah, maybe I just didn't have kind of the same preconceptions there, but I, I kind of took a lot of that from the beginning. There's, I think that the, this, this movie uses irony quite, quite well to kind of undercut a lot of that. Right. Um, I think that, that, I mean, I, you, you lose track of the amount of times that like, uh, uh, somebody goes to talk to somebody and it's like, ah, that person actually was shot with an arrow like several minutes ago, <laughs> just <laughs> it reveals like, ah, oh, this guy's like an arrow in his neck. And it does that like six or seven times. It's very funny. Uh, but there's, you know, there's the line from earlier in the film that, that, you know, the church was always on the side of the strong. I think that's a very funny, ironic line, right? Like that the point of the church is actually to do the exact opposite, Right. Um, you know, yeah, it's kind of Christianity's whole thing. The Nico and Herod here. That's kind of what it was supposed to be kind of, uh, like all about. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really funny. Um, and I, I think that, that, that it is also kind of telling that the, the kind of maybe the, the only other than maybe Ursula, uh, uh, but kind of the only character that we're, we're kind of allowed to be even the slightest bit sympathetic for is, uh, Helena Rose character, uh, Donna, uh, Inez, I believe I'm pronouncing both those names correctly. Um, who whose kind of main act is is you know she she does treat I think you know the indigenous people with a little more care. She she gives them food. She kind of takes care of them while they're imprisoned. But her kind of main act is just to simply kind of walk off into the woods. Right. It's not any sort of main act of, of heroism or subversion. It's kind of to just give up on the project as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that that's that's pretty telling. That that's like that's the most, you know, grace that we're, we're allowed from any of these, these characters. Yeah. I particularly like speaking of there, there are two women characters in this, right? There's, um, there's her and then there's Aguirre's, um, daughter. And throughout the movie, uh, Aguirre treats his daughter with sort of like tenderness and, uh, like kindness in stark contrast to the way that he can, parts himself everywhere else. And it's supposed to be like, again, in, in terms of irony or subversion, right? It's supposed to be like the, the obvious redemptive thing, right? It's like, this is like, uh, in fucking Taken, this is like how the Taken guy deals with his daughter, right? It's like, he, he shows him little <laughs> sloths and he, and, uh, he's like, well, are you, are you our okay little one, sweet one? And he says all of that. And then at the very end of the movie, they're like, oh, he wanted to fuck her so that, so that he could make more of himself. It's like all of it's it's the perfect sort of like tea to put on this thing that like all of the things that you think are redemptive about these institutions, about empire, about these people are actually further manifestations of their madness and evil. Right. Mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. that's I think it's really important that like we we associate the the church and particularly as you pointed out early on, Jason, um, like aristocracy or like um 
like royalty with all of these things, right? Because it's very important that these people are, despite being quote unquote rebels, they are representative of the whole uh, ethic of imperialism itself, right? Like they are recreating sort of in, um, in, in a minor or like a miniature uh, exactly what the whole history was, right? Like they're, they're sort of like they're, um, love for Cortez and the way that they, they try to set up this kangaroo court and sort of like system immediately. They're doing those things because they know that those things facilitate their evil, right? It's like, it's exactly the church. It's exactly the aristocracy. It's exactly the empire. It's like all of those things. They're not things that subvert or that control, uh, the, the quote unquote, like evil of these people. They're, they're actually, they're, they're great facilitators, right? Like you said, they're, they're an institutional requirement. Aguirre as a madman is just a madman, but, but Aguirre as the second in command secretly controlling this puppet government becomes a megalomaniacal, like an actor of genocide, right? It's like he, he has such greater capacity for evil and for madness and for the implementation of his will if he can set those things up, which is exactly why they were set up in the first place, right? They were never set up for law. They were never set up for religion. They were set up so that people like Aguirre could do these things with impunity for as long as possible and perpetuate their evils onto the world for as long as possible. And they're our ancestors. <laughs> They're your ancestors, Harry. Uh, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. That's true. Yep. You were, <laughs> I, you were I, I believe, the Greek and then the, the Holy Roman Empire. And, and we know that the Holy Roman Empire never did anything wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right? Uh, this is like, this is getting to uh, sort of like that, that depiction of power, like the structures of power as necessity is sort of feeding into what I said I wanted to bring up earlier. And I swear this is going to be my last point and then everybody else can run the podcast. Um, like, the false idea of agency of like some measure of difference and some of some level of uh, measure of like relatability of control on part of the characters of their situation from really like the movie picks up at a point where all hope has sort of been lost. Right. Um, is it, I think it's Pizarro who sends them on their uh, like excursion because they're running low on materials. Um, that is the point at which like, there's no hope for anybody there, right? Like it, it is gone. And only in retrospect, can I see like, oh, that's funny at the moment. I thought that was building like dramatic tension. I thought that was building like a narrative, like exposition, setting up characters sort of thing. It, it wasn't, it was just like, oh, look at that. They're doomed. Uh, watch like terrible things happen to this, to these uh, stupid doomed people. Um, but I, I think that that is sort of feeding to this thing that I'm noticing at least about the two Werner Herzog films I've seen so far is like that whole idea of, um, you know, freedom and captivity control and sort of like being controlled, uh, that like, I think Aguirre does uh, this same thing as Nosferatu, but with different tools in a different way, I guess, like initially they're trudging through the highlands and jungle with these like sequestered spaces with little visibility and they're beset on all sides by danger. Um, eventually they're like, they're beached, uh, and literally stuck with like rap deadly rapids on one side and uh, protective indigenous tribes on the other that will that will trap and kill them um and they see their the river is their only way out they're like means of liberation i guess their means to continue their mission the means to actually get out uh and it, it like obviously it is only like that 
is just the downhill slide, right? Like they manage to fool themselves that uh, as they go on, that that's actually their salvation that um, like that they can cover and claim so much land as they go. There's that scene where Don Guzman uh, is like, this la- This is so easy. Th- this land's mine. All that I can see, I decree is mine sort of thing. We'll, we'll, we'll have, uh, you know, we already have uh, multiples of the times of Spain claimed just on this leg of the trip sort of thing. Um, they like uh, gave up all self-control and determination uh the minute they left the shore, honestly, like, but it's not clear until the end, I guess, or at least it wasn't to me because I was expecting a slightly different movie that that is like, well, the movie's actually saying they, have, they actually, there is nothing that they can do throughout the course of this movie to change their fate. They are on a one way ticket to all, you know, just death and doom. Uh, but there are all these like assumptions on the part of the characters on part of everybody that they have some measure of uh, like identity and way to control their situation that they just don't. You know, yeah, uh, I do know, and I'm glad you landed uh, upon the water raft sequence. I that stood out to me, and I've been thinking about that um, a lot. I guess as this conversation develops here, and maybe to add a little bit more color and maybe launch off into something not entirely different, but at, at least I would like to think adjacent. But the yeah, like the the fact that so they they go off on their their little side quest. They have side quest. Is that an unintentional video game reference? Um, don't oh my that. God, Cody. Wow. Wow. We're going to get say side quest. Uh, so yeah, that the little uh, <clears throat> side quest of theirs where it's two rafts of people. One of them um, makes it ashore and one of them, yeah, gets trapped in the rapids and uh, like me as a viewer, like they're so, they're so tantalizingly close. How can they be so stupid to be it's in this so scenario funny, there's one it's, guy that's just yeah. waving a flag on the raft the whole time <laughs> right and that's like i mean especially in retrospect like some weird like foreshadowing definitely like um upon rewatches i'm sure like irony dramatic irony like there's i think a lot of thing a lot of things embedded into that sequence but just the being tantalizingly close to actually being successful in crossing the river and and they met their demise and the people watching from ashore are you know they see them and there's like well they met their fate and like little do they know they're gonna meet uh, like jason said they're gonna meet the exact same fate uh over the course of the next you know several weeks um or you know the next hour you know film language wise but uh you know th- that as a sort of um, that instance as a sort of like you know there's a lot of frailty there's a lot of fragility with like human nature and the illusion of control and autonomy and agency and like just as they're like tantalizingly close to like uh, surviving for a little bit longer or not um, you know these it cannot but feel like you, the, these people I mean they they're already colonizers so their their fate has been sealed but just like. I like, I don't know, like the, it feels in a lot of ways that they're tantalizingly close to like getting out of the woods, I guess, figuratively and literally, but just like you, uh, like as a person, like all, all it takes for you is when somebody knocks on your door and says like, Hey, do you want to like push Christianity, uh, onto, um, th- these people that we look down upon? Like you just say no. And then you're not, you're not <laughs> in the woods, you know, like, uh, it's, 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 you know, life is a matter of moments and decisions. Um, th- anyways, uh, I digress, but like, yeah, I don't know. Like if, 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 if someone, then again, I like on the other hand, if someone, uh, if a man, if a white dude discovers that they can become a conqueror by floating down a river like they will probably like there's a certain inevitability right right like they're they're gonna they're gonna do it it's the armchair sort of uh uh conquering method um like man will man will become that in this case like 
both, I mean, both rafts of people met and then like the same end, one just took longer than the other. Um, and I guess in the very, very end, you know, Aguirre was conquered by a, a bunch of monkeys. Um, so that's, Hey, makes you, makes you think. And everybody maybe. gets mad at kingdom of the crystal skull shaking my damn head. I, I, will not, I don't get mad at it. I will not be responding to that. Uh, there's a lot of, Okay, What's, I was gonna, do, I was gonna say take, there's a lot of parallels. Somebody take it. Somebody take it. Harry, please, please continue, so I don't have to continue this joke. Thank you. Uh, I've, I've been thinking about Aaron's take, um, and some of the stuff Cody said made a lot of sense with it. And I think that the one of the biggest ways that this movie subverts, at least in my mind, and this is just my opinion, of course, right? But um, the sort of heart of darkness problem is that. I think that the way that the heart of darkness problem says that the thing that's wrong with the colonizers is that in their hearts, they are savages, right? Quote unquote, that, that in the, in the end, they possess the evils of the animalistic qualities of humanity. I think this movie says the exact opposite. I think that what it's saying is that what is wrong with Aguirre is the fact that he's a man, right? The, 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 parts of Aguirre that are most human are the parts that animate his evil. Right. It's the fact that he has dreams. It's the fact that he wants to be like Cortez. It's the fact that he sees himself as the wrath of God specifically. It's the, it's the way that he wants to rise above his station, the way that he wants to have this sort of like identity persona of himself to see in a certain way. And he's hell bent on making that happen no matter what. To the point where he is completely divorced from the realities of the world, of the jungle. That is what men do. Right. Is that we have our in our consciousness, in our sort of like um, identities, the capacity to separate ourselves from ourselves, right? From the world. We have this, this way of becoming separate from reality. And I think that this is very, I'm pulling a lot from like what I know to be Herzog sort of like naturalist uh, philosophy, right? But like, I think that that's a really fascinating and um, major point that this movie makes, right? Is that like, Aguirre isn't evil because in the end, the nature of mankind or like mankind cannot overcome its 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 animal savagery. It's because the, the things that make men are evil, right? Consciousness is the problem. <laughs> like, 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 uh, religion is the mistake. Humanity, it's, it's a very sort of like rust coal thing at the end here, where it's like actually like, like mankind's capacity for evil does not stem from nature. It is beyond and worse than nature. It is unnatural, right? It's like, it's the kind of evil that could only be perpetuated by someone who is conscious, who has sort of like shaken off the shackles of, evolution and natural design, right? It's like, it's the same thing that like slavery is not possible in nature, right? At least not in the institutional way that, that it is among humans, right? So it's like the, the, the evils of man do not come from nature. They come from something much worse, right? They come from the fact that mankind is like overthrown nature itself, <laughs> even though it, as we, as we can see, like, we're not capable actually of doing that. Like we're, we're doomed to be destroyed by it, but hell, if we're not going to mess everything up in the meantime, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what makes uh, Aguirre's actual like physical presence such a comedic contrast, right? Is because he is like, you can judge this book by its cover and get a 100% grade on it, right? It is the the irony right. of the character looking exactly like, like 
I thought there was supposed to be something more underneath of that, something like, oh, he's the mastermind. He is the like incredible villain. But no, he's just a deluded, you know, uh, evil human as as all humans are, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. And it's like he's not he's not a madman. He's not an animal. He's just yeah. a greedy dude. Because yep. like that's that's the worst thing that there is. Is a greedy yeah, he's kind of a madman. Yeah. Well, he's, he's a little yeah. mad. I mean, you know. We're all a little, little mad here, Aaron. Hey. Uh, toss that monkey. He threw that monkey just he did into, throw the, that monkey. into the water. I, but honestly, I thought he was going to eat the monkey. I thought he was going to take guys, a bite of that. Were you guys monkey. so fucking worried about the animals every single time they were on screen? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I think like, Herzog has a bad really, reputation for that. Really afraid of that. Yes, yeah. Unfortunately. Well, I mean, like, just watched Nosferatu and, and animal the, cruelty. The mice like, or whatever in that. Yeah, 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 it was pretty rough. And it was yeah. like every single time there was an animal, like the horse on screen, I was like, please, God, don't let that animal yeah. die. Hey, let's talk, let's talk about the horse. Anybody else? Jason gave me the crime emoji no, but uh, i gave a big old belly laugh at that horse just sad looking out at the forest that was i was laughing the entire that scene is like 15 se- it's like a 15 second shot of just like the camera going around the river bend and just the horse slowly getting out of view at very funny very, <laughs> very funny he's just it's looking longingly because like it's the only time agire shows something like what i would consider to be sort of like self-realization when he sees the sort of like symbol of his empire get left behind in the jungles and then like he's he's on to it but yes there is that very funny moment of like the horse being like well bye guys and he's like in the jungle and <laughs> well it's it's also like uh uh from a i guess non-funny standpoint it is it is kind of uh uh I think emblematic of kind of the folly of these uh, uh, explorers and that they, they keep referencing, you know, Cortez and other adventurers. They, they reference the fact that, um, you know, uh, they, they had seen this one person who says that he had seen a bunch of the indigenous people kind of scatter at the sight of one horse, right? There's this kind of gun germ, guns, germs, and steel esque uh, kind of thought <laughs> about this, this technological superiority of these cannons and the fact that they have these domesticated horses kind of being the thing, guns, of course, being the things that will kind of allow them to, you know, the minute they get to El Dorado kind of just, I guess, start taking over. Um, but like by the end of the movie, they don't, they don't have any of those things, right? The, the cannons are kind of lost in the mud. The, the horse is just kind of chilling on a riverbank. Um, I guess they still have some guns, right? But at, at the end of the movie, you're, you're even kind of curious, like, there's like six of you, right? And you, I guess, have some guns, but like, I, I guess I don't know how you'd actually take over. Uh, yeah, dude. What would you and do if you, if, you, if you're a dog chasing the car, right? What, how, what are you right. going to do? Meanwhile, it's like, well, after I take this place over, I'm going to sail back to Spain and kill the uh, Spanish king yes. and take over that as well. And it's like, yeah, all right, bud. Uh, any final thoughts before we call this one good? That. That sounds like a big fat no. All we right. got it all out of the way. Yeah, I think we really did. Uh, this whole the whole rest of our the podcast is is ours. I claim it as ours. Um, speaking of which, uh, Harry, do you want to be the herald uh, of our of our next segment? I didn't bring my pan flute or my pipe flute. Or God whatever damn it, that. man! I'm sorry. I, I I can do my best. Like boop 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 boop. Uh, but um, this is the segment that we like to call. <gasps> Cody's noties. Holy shit. Wow. We like right on there. Did you hear that? Cody? Harry's mic did yeah, not cut out, good. which is a, a miracle, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank this you. was foretold. This was ordained. It was. Um, amen. As the Christians say, somebody will have to get back to me on that. Um, but thank you, as always, gentlemen, for that. Uh, um, I was going to say delusional because I like to put in uh, an adjective that's like spiritually related to the movie we talked about. But I, you know what? That was because of how um, in sync you were. Um, 
what's it? Synchronous? We'll go with synchronous. That's a word. There are a lot of writers in the room here. Um, So correct me if that's uh, not a thing, but honestly, today, today feels like a Trilibs day, gentlemen. Um, For those unaware, Trilibs is our attempt at sort of reimagining, recreating the world famous uh, game known as Mad Libs, where you take a story, you fill in the blanks with some various parts of speech, and you get a, a zany little uh, story as a result, um, because you don't know exactly what those words are, are pointing toward. In this case, I have put together a story that is somewhat inspired by the movie that we've been talking about. And so in the randomly uh, drafted order of Aaron, Jason, and then Harry, and then sort of uh, on a loop from there, I will uh, be collecting various words, uh, again, parts of speech, etc. You know the drill from you fine folks. And then by the end of it, we'll have uh, hopefully a, a nice tale to tell. So without further ado, um, Aaron, we'll start with you. I need from you a name. Um, mm, let's go Klaus. Klaus. Hmm. Interesting. And um, what brought you uh, to that name as I vamp a little bit as I uh, uh, an old name for uh, Santa Claus, you know? Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yep. Okay. Thinking well, yeah, about Klaus Kinski playing Santa Claus is making me deeply unhappy. Oh, I didn't think of the Klaus Kinski connection. Oh, Oh, sorry. That's uh, a little. We just finished talking about the movie. Yeah, uh, Kinski Claus. Um, we won't get it trending. Next up, Jason. From you, please. Could I get a noun? Balls. Nice. Uh, and then Harry. This uh, slightly deeper cut here. What I'm going to need for you is the name of a made-up country. If you want to just make up a country, Transylvania. That's that's my choice and i'm sticking with that's it that's a made up that's not okay we'll, we'll just i'll just let him have this one how about uh Deeply yeah problematic uh, when we when we say transylvania we'll just be thinking specifically about the animated version from like the the bugs bunny cartoon where guys i'm gonna be to... honest i didn't know transylvania was real place we can keep this in the podcast you did, you wait, are you be honest. wait are you serious transylmaniac i feel like i only recently learned that that was actually a real place just thought it was where Dracula was from, TBH. Oh. I mean, multiple things can be true, I guess. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm going to relieve the pressure from Harry a little bit and pivot back to Aaron. Aaron, from you, I need uh, a year. A year. Uh, 2099 X. All what? right. 2099 so, uh, X. The year 20,000 20, and something? No, it's 2099 X. I, you know what? I'm etching these in concrete uh, very quickly. Um, so no takesies, backsies, um, gents. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, over to Jason. Uh, you, you're getting stuck with the nouns here, but I need from you another noun, please. Fart. Nice. And you are not disappointing. Harry, an adjective, please. Ashamed. Interesting pull. Uh, well, Aaron, from you, I need a vehicle. Uh, 1994 Toyota Tercel. Toyota. <laughs> I feel like there's definitely a, a <laughs> this, is, this is another installment in the series of things that Aaron puts forth that I am just going to guess how to spell because I'm a moron. Um, but I think I, I sounded it out. Tercel's easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let's hope. Um, do, 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 Jason, uh, in a, a type of animal, if you please. A kinkajou. 
Oh yeah. You just sent me one of the, is this the thing that you sent me on TikTok? Or on that TikTok, else? The, the guys with the really long tongues. Yeah. Can you say that again for me once more or even spell it out for me? I, I'm not. Kink, kinkajou. Yeah. K-I-N-K-A-J-O-U. Fellas, it sounds like you're saying things. like six different offensive things. <laughs> it's honestly like, it sounds like, you know what? I'm going to say this and then I'm going to move on. Uh, just yeah. Like a, a kinkachu is like, I don't know, like a sexy Pikachu or something. And it was like, I was my eyebrows are raised like a yeah. horny Pokemon. Yeah, exactly. Um, food for thought. Uh, Harry over to you. Um, could I get a type of plant? Venus flytrap. Nice. That's real, right, guys? That's a real plan. Yes. Honestly, Harry, that, what? Kind of, that that fits in the category of like I know we've talked about this, but like um, quicksand and Bermuda Triangle and like and, and Venus flytraps, like scary, that, right? Yeah, like scary things that were reaffirmed by media in our youth that I just thought would be more of a factor. Thank you, every stand-up aren't. comedian from 2006 to 2009. Uh, but he put he put he put his own spin on it with the Venus flytrap thing. You I know, heard, he, I have not heard the Venus flytrap one. That is a I think listen, a new one. Listen, Co- I Cody re- wrong. Cody respects what came before and adds something he's, new. He's listen, the shoulders of stand-up comedian giants before him. He, that's what he is standing on with the Venus flytrap. He's not bit. an iconoclast. The, the man doesn't want to tear anything down. I would, when I was a little kid, I wrote a short story, uh, which is probably deeply problematic because it was about like a like a tribe. But they, uh, for their funerals, they used to put people inside giant funeral our Venus flytraps, and then they would close and they would like fucking dissolve the people inside there. Whoa. Pretty cool idea that's, for a funeral. I am that's raw. That is deeply troubling. This is a a wild journey we're taking on this trilibs. We're not even halfway through. Uh, Aaron, could I please get from you the name of a real country this time? Uh, Transylvania. Oh, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> I knew what was coming. Uh, Jason, a number, if you would please. 69. Hey, I also knew what to expect there. Uh, Harry, an adjective. Pissed. <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, now, Aaron, from you, I'm going to need a uh, a high ranking title. Oh, um, new Viscount. That's a new Viscount. Uh, Duke. Oh. Duke. Viscount's good. Also, uh, Transylvania is not a country, bro. It's a region. It's in Hungary. <laughs> Look, look look at the so, dangerous so amounts of, of this man is drowning in cope look at this man <laughs> i harry the point is it's a real place all right and don't mistake yeah, my well, dunk for some it, sort of you know it's it, not, does, it's it's not it doesn't country. matter all right oh, it's it's I, uh, he's, he's not owned the important thing is i think we all learned a little I lesson think we in all made equal today. mistakes here on this episode today is the important thing yeah yeah because yeah. aaron made a mistake and i made a mistake we all make mistakes and that's what's important Everybody has those days. Uh, over to who am I at now? Jason, a uh, a type of snack food, please. Hmm. I'm going to go with Lachoy rice noodles. Clickety clack, clickety clack. I am typing. Perfect. Uh, over to Harry, who is going to give me a verb, hopefully. Sorry, did I did I say that uh, Transylvania was in um, Hungary? It's in Romania. I don't know if I... I so you've now made two mistakes, Harry. Well, I mean, you made the mistake of being born, so uh, we Whoa. all made mistakes, you know? Uh, what was my... Sorry, what was the prompt? <laughs> oh, boy. A verb. <laughs> Dying. 
Nice. Perfect, perfect. Where am I? I lost my place. All right, excellent. We're back on track, folks. Uh, Aaron, a type of uh, job or occupation? Um, regulatory inspector. Nice. That's you love to hear it. I guess I don't know. I have no transition. <laughs> The saga continues, and I hope it never ends. Uh, Jason, now from you, this is an important task. I need you to provide the name of a previous Trilove guest. Benjamin Savard. Uh, and I also want to take this opportunity to own Harry's ass just a little bit more. Uh, it's a fire sale on, on bits of Harry's ass. Dying is, in fact, an adjective. Um, what you'll be looking for is the word die, which is a verb. Hee <laughs> hee. We have fun. Uh, over to Harry now, speak of the devil. Um, I need from you a type of food. Uh, can we get some help here, fellas? What do you, what do you got? Yeah, poop. Poop isn't oh, food. Come that's on. not food. You're not supposed it to eat that. It used to be food. It Jason, used to be you're food. You're not supposed to eat that. Uh, how about uh, cranberry sauce? Mm. Uh, I don't like that one. Let's go with I pretzels. Fuck. What'd you say, Harry? Pretzels. That's a food, right? I'm almost certain that's a food. Uh, judges, all right, they'll they'll allow it. They'll allow it. Um, thank you, judges. Aaron, from you, I also need I hadn't yet responded. I was just saying that I was dying. I didn't supply a verb, but I would have. <laughs> I would have surprised the one that Jason suggested. Oh, jokes, uh, Aaron, an adjective, if you please. Oh, um, mysterious classic um yeah yeah homish stretch i think i said that already uh, jason a number um eight nice nice uh harry a type of vehicle uh dodge charger dodge charger I literally just backspace to capitalize charger and I, why did I do that? It doesn't matter. Um, that's, Hey, that's, you know what? Everybody makes mistakes. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'll be the first to admit Is it, it. Isn't that the overall message of Aguirre, the wrath of God is that we're all, you know, we're all, we're all the same. Yeah. I think in the, in the sense <laughs> that it's saying humanity was a mistake, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's ding, true. Ding, ding, ding. That is correct. Uh, Aaron, an adverb. Uh, abnormally. Nice. I should have said, you know, if you just want to give a verb, I can do like the, the conjugation. No, no, no. It's good. It's all right. Nice. All we got right. There. I'm just trying to be helpful. Jesus. All right. And Jason, last but not least, um, well, certainly not least in this case, because I need from you the name of a movie. Bad Times of the Old Rail. Nice. Woo. That, that is also a classic. All right. Um, I feel like I'm on a run uh, of these where I have forgotten one along the way or, or just missed one. I'm optimistic that is that that is not the case this time. If not, it'll be funny and we'll have fun. These are fun. We're having fun. Without further ado, uh, gentlemen, I present to you all Trilib's Expedition. <clears throat> on this day, 
Let's take the time to celebrate Klaus, who traveled with their group of balls from the country of Transylvania in the year 2099X. So I guess we're, I'm reciting this from the future. Their goal was to discover great farts, but destiny had something else in store. This journey started out in a convoy of ashamed 1994 Toyota Tercels. Things were going smoothly until Klaus and their posse were sidetracked by a pack of wild kinkajou blocking their path. Kinkajou or kinkachus? You know it's, what? It's, it's kinkajou, but uh, but I like that. Cool. Um, remember, sexy Pokemon, everybody. They were forced onto an alternate route that brought them through the notorious Venus flytrap fields just outside of Transylvania. This wouldn't have been a problem, but after 69 days, it was discovered that the group had been going in circles. Klaus was ruthless, impatient, and above all else, pissed. Fits. In a fit of frustration and madness, Klaus declared themselves Duke of their new nomadic kingdom. With newfound inspiration and a recently discovered stockpile of Lachoy rice noodles, the group set out again, determined to die, whatever crossed their path next. Um, the grammar works a little less well, but I, listen, die is, is very, very good. They didn't have long to wait, as they were soon confronted by a horde of regulatory inspectors led by their fearless leader, Benjamin Savard. Under Benjamin Savard's command, the foes launched a barrage of pretzels in the direction of Klaus and their disciples. The ensuing bloodbath was mysterious. Legend has it that, on a scale of 1 to 10, the carnage was about an 8. Miraculously, Klaus somehow escaped the onslaught on a, do- uh, on a Dodge Charger, excuse me, leaving their followers to perish abnormally at the hands of Benjamin Savard. Klaus disappeared from history down this lonely road. One can only assume they were left to ponder their, uh, their failures, succumb to delusion, or perhaps... Think back fondly on better times. Memories of watching bad times at the El Royale in a kingdom they had not conquered. The end. Woo! Yeah. Jesus. That's, now that's true purgatory, is memories of watching El Royale. It was a simpler time. And it will be a simpler time. Better things are ahead. Thank you, Cody. Uh, another rousing edition of Cody's Noties. Tri-Libs expedition uh thank you very much uh all of our listeners for listening to try love it's a literal roundtable podcast um you can go to trylon.org to get tickets to movies showing as part of the uh early herzog series we've got from here um let's see after this episode airs we will have oh gee uh my best fiend might still be playing uh cobra verde Fitzcarraldo, wojzak stroshek uh the enigma of caspar hauser uh, check it out. It's uh, sure to be a really fun series. I'm already more excited than I was when it started, just based on these two movies alone. Uh, in the meantime, you can find our podcast, uh, Try Love. Again, that's Try Love on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema. You can find Jason at Nintendoofus. Nice. Uh, yeah, I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I have nothing else to say here other than my voice is perhaps 20 to 25% deeper than normal um, due to a temporary uh, bit of nasal uh, congestion. It, uh, like I said, it will not be here forever. So enjoy it while it lasts, baby. No. Hi, everyone. We have a lot of fun on this podcast. But I want to talk about something that's not very much fun at all, and that's Transylvanian erasure. I would like to personally apologize to all of our Transylvania listeners uh, for the mistake that I made on this podcast tonight. Uh, and I'd like to promise to do better. And I want you to be a part of that. So if you would like to direct any hate mail, uh, comments, complaints, uh, maps of Central Europe uh, to me, I would be 
happy to accept them from you. I'm learning, I'm growing, and I'm committed to change. My name is Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter, at Harry. Once again, our Transylvanian listeners, I am deeply sorry. We forgive you, Harry. Transylvania is a historical region that is located in central Romania. Bound on the east and south by its natural borders, the Carpathian Mountain Range, Transylvania extends westward to the Apuseni Mountains. The broader definition of Transylvania also encompasses the western and northwestern Romanian historical regions, Crisana and Maramures, and occasionally Banat. I've never heard of any of these places. The region of Transylvania, uh, I'm going to stop doing this now. Uh, my name is Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. Thanks for listening. Thou lettest man flow on like a river, and thy years know no end. As for man, his days are like grass as a flower on the field, so he blossoms. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. You know, my child, for the good of our Lord, the church was always on the side of the strong. (laughs) 